Welcome to the Christian Faith Center podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Here's a message from one of our pastors. We have such a nice church family here, don't we? Man, you guys are just awesome. You're the best. Um, today is part three of a series that God's put on my heart to, to share with you. It's, the series is titled Family Values. And the first message that the Lord put on my heart was for us to recognize the fact that, one, we are a part of God's family. Amen? Hopefully you have that relationship uh, with the Father through the Son, Jesus, to say that, yeah, I'm a part of the family of God because we are. We're a part of the family of God. And then the second lesson was about trust, the family value of trust, because we can trust God. Amen? I'm going to apologize from, from last month. If, if I didn't make it clear enough that we can trust God, we can trust God. Amen? If I didn't communicate that clearly, we can trust God. And because we can trust God, we can trust in his plan. We can trust in his purpose. We can trust in his goals. We can trust in his destiny for us because we can trust God. Amen? And when I can trust God, then I can trust my spouse. I can trust my family. I can trust the people around me. I can trust lots and lots of different things. But today's message is titled Unity. Because one of the most important family values that we have to understand is unity. If you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 11, please. Luke chapter 11. We're so happy you're here with us today. So happy you're here listening to this. You know, so we're talking about unity. What is unity? The King James Dictionary definition of the word unity is the state of being one or oneness, right? It's the state of being one. In fact, if you go a little bit further, where you think about unity, it means that there is something that is one, but that thing that is one is actually detached or separated from something else, right? So there is this separation from something. Unity itself is undivided, but it is divided from something else. So it's, it's kind of like a conundrum when we think about this. In order for two to be one, they have to have come from something else to now be the one. And part of what we're talking about this morning is unity in the family, uh, unity in the ch- with our relationships, with husbands and wives, with our children. And ultimately, the most important one is unity with God. And unity is another way of saying, you know, being on the same page, right? It's like if the music team up here all didn't know the song order, and they had the different songs in different orders, and they go, okay, let's go, and they all strummed, they all played, they all sang the first note, and it was not the right song, right? What happens? They're not on the same page. It could be a disaster. Or if you ever go to a meeting, right, and all of a sudden the procedure changes at your job, right? That doesn't happen ever, right? Nothing ever changes at your job. Everything stays the same year after year. That was a joke, right? But let's say you have the new procedural manual. You come to the meeting three minutes late, and you don't know what page you're on. How confusing is that? Because when we're not in unity, when we're not on the same page, it can be frustrating, can't it? It can be confusing. It can be disappointing. And even some points, it can be devastating. Jesus says here in Luke 11, he's talking about unity in this passage of scripture in verse 17. But just before verse 17, in verse 14, 15, and 16, what happens? Let's set the stage. Jesus casts out a demon from a mute man. So now the man that was possessed by this demon that made him unable to speak can now speak. And the people around him are going, oh, he casts out demons because he's worshiping demons. And then other people go, well, we don't know how he's doing it, but send us a, tell us a sign, Jesus, of how you're able to do this, because if it's not by worshiping the demons that you're casting out, then what is it? And really, that makes absolutely no sense, right? Show us a sign for how you just showed us a sign about how you cast out a demon from a guy that couldn't speak that can now speak. 
Insane, right? But this is what Jesus says here in verse 17. Luke chapter 11, verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. And so he says this very important truth, and then in verse 18 down to 23, he keeps explaining. He talks about this specific instance and then something else. Verse 18. He says, if Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when a stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which that man trusted and divides up his plunder. Verse 23, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, in his, in his actions and in, in Jesus' obedience in casting out demons, right? He's saying, look, look, at a kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. A family divided against itself will fall. He explains exactly how he was able to cast out this demon. And then he goes, listen, if you're not with me, then it means you are against me. And if you do not gather with me, it means that you are scattering with me. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the importance of unity. Unity in a kingdom, unity in a family, unity with him. Unity between him with him and the Father. See, we have to remember, Jesus was in constant unity with God. Every day he woke up, he prayed. Every big decision, he prayed to the Father. Lord, what is your will? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, take this cup from me. If it's not, but if not my will, your will. If, if, Lord, whatever, God, Father, whatever you want me to do, I want to do it. I want to be obedient. But what happened? He was in constant unity with the Father. That's why he moved the way he did. That's why his ministry was so impactful. If he was healing and God was injecting demons, that would be schizophrenia, right? God does not operate that way. God does not send sickness to then say, hey, hope someone's going to pray for you to get you healed because that would be crazy. Thank God we don't serve a God that does that, amen? He is a God that loves you. He is a God that cares for you. He wants you well. He wants you healthy. He wants you happy. He wants you to be successful. But unity is such an important value. It's how Jesus operated. Lord, Father, not my will, but your will. What do you want me to do? I'm going to do it. He had unity with the Father. It's how Jesus operated. And if it's how Jesus operated, shouldn't it be how we operate too? Unity is such an important family value. It's important not just for our family with God the Father, but our family here on earth. Unity is so, so important. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, I pray that we understand this concept of unity, Lord, and not that we just get a knowledge of it, Father, but I pray that we get a revelation of it. I pray that it becomes so ingrained in our fiber, in every fiber of our being, Lord, that that's what we strive to do day in and day out, to be in perfect union, to have that perfect unity with you in everything that we say and do, Father, and as we do that, we're going to see that it's going to trickle down to our families. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray for no distractions here. We pray for complete focus on you and focus on your word, Lord, as you guide us and teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. See, there's three dimensions of unity that we're going to talk about this morning. Three dimensions. One is unity with our spouse. 
Second is unity with our children. And third is unity with God, which is the most important one. Now, if you're thinking and you're checking those, those, that list off in your head, you say, well, I'm not married. I don't have kids, but I have a relationship with God. Well, hey, that's fantastic. If this doesn't directly apply to you, remember, you might be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to someone and have a greater impact on them than their actual father or mother would. So don't just, don't just check out now and go, oh, why did I come today? No, you came because God wanted you to hear this message. Amen? Or maybe you know a family that's struggling. Maybe you can be that light. Maybe you can be that salt that helps and encourages them to be confident in their family because you know the word of God. So we're all here for a reason, amen? Three dimensions of unity. Unity with our spouse. Unity with our children and unity with God, which is the most important. We'll get to that one towards the end of the message. But turn to Genesis chapter two, please. Remember, unity is a state of being one or oneness. And where there's unity, we see a body that is detached from other bodies. And unity is undivided of itself, but it's separated from other things. And when we talk about the unity between us and God, our our union with God, it means that we are in a state of oneness with the Father. Amen? That we're one with the Father. We'll study that more later on. We're part of a new body that is detached from other bodies. We're part of a new culture that is separate from the other culture that we were a part of. Amen? We're united with him, but separated from everything else. And in Genesis chapter 2, we know this is the story of Adam and Eve, right? The origin story. At this point in verse 24 or verse 23, we're going to read, right? God has created Eve. He now wakes up Adam. And in verse 23, Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of a man. And in verse 24, we see the first time in scripture that unity is mentioned. Look at verse 24, Genesis 2, 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, I like talking about this. I do some pre-marriage counseling. When I, before I do a ceremony, I meet with the couple, and they're all like super excited for like what they think marriage is like, and it's awesome. And they're like, it's going to be awesome and rainbows and roses. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be really challenging too. I don't tell them that. I let them figure that out on their own, right? Marriages are great. Marriages are awesome, but it's a lot of work. But unity takes, things, takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy to build. Amen? The, the relationship that it started many, many years ago is not what it's going to be decades later. It's not going to be it. It's going to be different. It's going to change, and that's fine. But here we see, when I do that marriage counseling, I always read this passage, and I go, who was Adam and Eve's father and mother? And they kind of give me like this blank stare. Like, if I don't, they don't answer correctly, I'm not going to marry them. No, I'll marry them, right? It's not like a, a do-or-die question here. But you think about it. Why was this mentioned in the first book of the Bible? Because from the beginning, God wanted Adam and Eve to recognize this. This is what you have to teach from generation to generation. Because you're going to have children that are going to get married, and they have to be united with their spouse and separated from you because that marriage, that husband and wife, now is the new priority for that family. They have to be united in one. That's to be part of a new body. See, the marriage union is the closest relationship that can exist between two people. It is. Both parties accept the responsibility to say, I am leaving my father and mother and I am joining myself to you to be a husband or to be a wife to you. And from this moment forward, we shall be one, both in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of God. That's part of the vows that they say. And from that moment on, the husband and wife, the goal is to do what's best for the marriage, not what's best for me. Now, I didn't expect a lot of amens at that point, right? But it's true, right? The marriage is what's best for the marriage, not for me. 
Because when, when you get married, you lose the right to just think about yourself. Now you have to think about your spouse. You have to think about your children. You have to think about their legacy, their future, right? So how do you have unity in your marriage? There's three things we're going to talk about this morning. How do you have unity in your marriage? First, you have to realize and stand on the word of God as absolute truth. For the marriage to be successful, we have to stand on the word of God being absolute truth. If there is a couple that I, I'm very fortunate, I haven't had to have marriage counseling where it's a couple that wants to get separated because that's really hard. But if the couple wants to get separated, but they can still agree on the word of God as being the ultimate truth, there's some hope. Amen. There's still hope. If we can agree that this is absolute truth, then praise God. That is the best starting place for a man and woman when it comes to marriage, right? It has to be this. The word of God it has to be the absolute truth to have unity in the marriage. The second thing is we have to lift each other up. As a, as a husband and wife, we have to lift each other up. And the third point we'll talk about is we have to remember the bride, capital B, and the bridegroom, capital B. We'll talk about that later on. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5. See, we have to stand on the word of God as absolute truth because like it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You and I, we are here today because we are servants of God, amen? God wants us to be equipped. God wants us to, to apply what we learn in Scripture to our parenting. He wants us to apply what we're learning in the Bible to have healthy relationships. Husbands and wives, family members, friends. He wants us to use the Word of God in every area of our life. Not just once in a while. Not just here and there. Because the Bible is so practical. It gives you information and revelation on, on so many valuable topics, things related to your spouse, your children, your children's children, right? The legacy that we want to leave behind to your job, to your calling. There's so much that's in the word of God. But when we view it as absolute, when we view it as God breathed, it's not my will or her will or their will. It's God's will. Amen. Then that's how we start to build that unity in the relationship. Did we find Ephesians 5 here? How do we have unity in the marriage? The first way is we have to stand on God's word as absolute truth. The second is we have to lift each other up. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 21 to start with. It says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And I read this passage whenever I do a wedding ceremony because it's important. It talks about the roles and responsibilities for both the husband and the wife in the situation. Verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that word submit? It actually means to put under another. So think of it this way. If I'm submitting to my wife, if I'm submitting to her, what am I doing is I'm putting myself under her to do what? To elevate her. I am submitting to her out of reverence of Christ to then do what? To lift her up. See, so many times in the relationship, in a marriage relationship specifically, who's there to think about me? If I don't think about me, who's going to think about me? If you are constantly thinking about the other person, you got someone watching your back, don't you? If I'm thinking about my wife and she's thinking about me, who's thinking about me? Her. Who's thinking about her? Me. Because a good marriage starts with this idea of submitting one to another out of what? Reverence for Christ. Because as we keep going here in Ephesians 5, we realize that the marriage covenant mirrors the relationship that Jesus has with the church. Let's keep reading here. Verse 22. If we're submitting to Christ, it's easy to submit to one another, isn't it? 
If you can submit to Christ, it's easy to then submit to one another. Think about that. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Guys, if you're sitting next to your wife and you just gave her a little God nudge, I'm going to pray for you later. Please take it back because you're missing the point of Ephesians 5 if you're like, yeah, you better submit to me. Please no, 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 right? No, no. Because we're missing the point then. What's the, the role of the wife? Wives, we are to submit to our husbands in everything because ultimately a good godly household revolves around the husband submitting to Christ. Amen? So that's a lot of responsibility on me. That's a lot of responsibility on me as a husband and me as a father because Cynthia does a great job of saying, whatever the Lord tells you to do, I support you. You know how hard that is for me to hear that? Because she's going to support me and I have to hear from God? i got to really make sure I am hearing clearly from God. But when you have that submission, wives, to your husbands, and they're referencing the relationship that they have with God, it puts more pressure on them. It doesn't put less pressure on them and make them think, I own you. No, we don't own anybody. It's not indentured servitude. It's a relationship. We submit one to another out of what? Reverence to Christ. Amen? Because actually when you read, guys, the next part is <laughs> it's a little tougher for us. Look at verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And what did Jesus do for the church, everybody? He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water by the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any blemish, but as holy and blameless. Look at verse 28. It says, in this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church. Verse 30, for we are members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Hey, didn't we just read that in Genesis chapter 2? Yeah, it's verse 24, right? The verse, 20, verse, 33, verse 32 here says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of us, you must love your wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. See, guys, the, 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 the challenging thing isn't for the women to submit. The challenging thing is for us to die for our wives. Because that's what Jesus did. He gave his life for the church. He is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. It talks about that in Revelation. That he is the one that gave his life for the church. Guys, we are to give our lives for our spouses. We are to give our lives to our wives. That's what Jesus did. We're modeling that perfect union between Christ and the church in our relationship here. So guys, the women submit. They lift, us, they lift you up. You die for them in lifting them up. Amen? Amen, right? Amen. Hallelujah. Don't be ashamed to be a little loud. It's okay, right? Be bold. Guys, we make mistakes, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I make mistakes, right? I can't, I can't let my wife know that I know I make mistakes, right? Yeah, I make mistakes. We make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. We're not perfect. But when we remember the bride and the bridegroom, when we remember Jesus and how he treats the church and how husbands and wives, that's how you are to treat each other, it changes everything, doesn't it? It's not just now about how my preference and what I want to do because I have someone that's constantly looking out for me, just like I am constantly looking out for somebody else. I have her best interest in mind. She has my best interest in mind. And what do we do? We elevate each other. 
I submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. It is not about my preferences and what I want. It's about what God wants me to do and what God wants me to share with her. Same thing goes back and forth. See, when we lift each other up, what's going to happen? If I'm constantly lifting her up and she's constantly lifting me up, we elevate together. If I'm putting her down and she's putting me down, we are just lowering ourselves more and more with the pressures and pressures and pressures on piled on top of pressures. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to have unity in the marriage. By doing what? Number one, standing on the word of God is absolute truth. Number two, lifting each other up, right? Lift up each other. Don't tear each other down. Do what's best for the marriage, not what's best for me, my personal comfort and convenience. And three, remember the bride and the bridegroom. Because like Jesus says in Luke 11, a house divided against itself will fall. God does not want us to be a part of a house that will be divided or kingdom that's going to be divided or a house that will fall. But it takes effort. It takes energy. It takes work. It is not easy. It is not comfortable. And it sure is not convenient. Amen? But it's what God wants. It's something that we got to do. So we challenge ourselves. Okay, I'm going to put my spouse before me, even if it means I can't watch the football game today. Praise God. Hallelujah. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Unity with our spouse is important, right? Unity with our spouse in the Lord is more important, right? Because if a husband and wife don't have that unity, that unity between themselves and with God, it's going to be really hard to then raise a child or raise children in that environment where they are not in unity and in unity in the Lord. Amen? In Psalm 127, it refers to children as a heritage from the Lord, offspring of reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. See, we're going to talk now about unity in children. In Psalms, it talks about children being arrows, right? Has anyone ever shot an arrow before, a bow and arrow before? Okay. Has everyone, and those that raised their hand, have you ever shot it incorrectly? Yeah, okay. For those that don't know, I took a class in college. I'm not an expert by any means. Please don't think me to be an archery expert. It's really fun. It also really hurts because it's, yeah, because when you put the arrow in the bow, it's called knocking, right? Like, like it's called knocking the arrow. And there's a certain way you have to do it. And there's a certain way that you have to turn your shoulder because if you just go grab it like this, the bowstring is going to scrape across your arm and it's just going to wear away your skin. It's going to keep hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting it. And it's going to hurt a lot, right? That's why I asked those that have shot arrows if you've ever shot them incorrectly because you remember the first time you shoot it incorrectly, right? Because you see the lines there. It hurts, right? But what happens when you, when you don't do it correctly, when you're not holding the arrow in the right way and you let it go, it just like kind of explodes in your face. It kind of just falls and God only knows where it's going to go. It's a hot mess. It's a disaster right? But when you knock the arrow the right way, when you turn your shoulder the right way, when you're taking your time, and all you have to do to let go of an arrow is this. Just release your fingers. That's it. You don't push your hand forward. You don't jerk it up. You, don't, you just release the two fingers. That's it. Two. Wow, it's amazing. How does a marriage work with how many people? Two. Husband and wife. The two let go of the arrow, and the thing just flies in the future, right? Children are an arrow in the hands of a warrior. See, parenting, you have to be warriors to be effective parents. You can't be passive. You have to be warriors. But when we, when we treat children as arrows, when we set them up for success, and we let them go into the wild, what happens? They're going to hit their target. If I'm not setting those arrows up correctly, if I'm not knocking the arrow the right way, it's going to be a disaster when I let them go. Because there comes a time in every relationship, in every family, where the children have to go on their own way. And it's probably really, really challenging. 
I can't imagine, my son is four, I can't imagine him being an adult and just letting him go and make all these important life choices. It's got to be so terrifying. But you have to have confidence now as a husband and wife to know that when you let them go, they're on target. Because what? Children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And when you recognize and remember that, it makes it easier to know the important things in life as you raise them up and as you bring them up. I used to think it's all about making them have good choices, making the kids just be respectful. The most important thing we can teach children is to be a servant of Jesus. That is the most important thing you can teach a child. Maybe if you don't have children, but you're really close, you're that always their uncle or that always their aunt, or you have cousins that you're always involved in, the most important lesson you can help those parents with when raising that child is giving them a zeal, a passion for being a servant of Jesus Christ. Because then you don't have to worry about their decision-making because they'll make good decisions. You don't have to worry about them being respectful. If they're a servant, they will be respectful. But it changes the priority, doesn't it? Can I share a quick story with, about my son? Tough. I have the microphone. I'm going to anyway. So my son, right, he loves Legos. And, and we said he wanted to go to the Lego store one day. And I said, okay, we can go. You have to be really good, though, as we go to all the stores. If you're a parent and you never bargained with your child, right, and negotiated with them, I don't know how you do it. God bless you, right? Okay, here's the deal. We can go to the Lego store. You have to be really good in the stores that we go to. Okay. He was fantastic. He was great. He sat. He was respectful. He didn't annoy us. He didn't do anything inappropriate, right? He was just re he was really well behaved. And so then we're, we're getting to the point now, okay, we're going to go to the Lego store. But he always likes to do this thing, which drives me nuts. As I close the door on him, he likes to stick his leg out and think it's a fun game, right? I'm like, I can break your leg if I close the door on your leg. Please keep your leg inside the car. I says, okay. I know how he's thinking. He's going to do it, right? I say, if you do it, we are not going to the Lego store. Okay. Right? He sticks his little leg out. I'm like, mm, man, Lord, give me patience, right? So I go to the front seat. I turn back. What did daddy tell you? Not to stick my leg out. So he knew what he did was wrong, right? So what was the consequence? Not going to the Lego store, right? All sad. And I felt bad because he really was a good listener for like the whole day. He made one bad decision, right? And I closed the door and he did the stupid leg thing, right? And so I go, Daddy's going to show you grace, and we're going to still go to the Lego store. Really? Yeah. And then Cynthia, she goes, she turns, and she goes, yeah, grace is you get something you don't deserve. You don't deserve to go to the Lego store today, <laughs> right? And I'm like, yeah, right on. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. But it's true, right? Because what's the most important thing we can teach our children, right, is to have that relationship with Christ, understand what grace is. We don't deserve the things that we get from God, but thank God he still freely gives them to us. Amen? Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Look at verse 1 here, Ephesians chapter 6. I am going to get back to reading the Bible, I promise. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice what it doesn't say in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It doesn't just say, children, obey your parents, period. The authority is given to the parents for the children to obey if they're in the Lord. Did you guys catch that? The obedience of the children is to parents who are in the Lord. It's going to be really hard if you're trying to raise children and God is not the center of the relationship, it is going to be devastating and it can be very devastating. God has to be the center of that godly family. We can't have a godly family without God, amen? How, what does it mean? How does this obedience come? How does a husband and wife, how do they parent in the Lord? Like we just talked about, realize the Bible is absolute truth. Put each other above each other, right? All these things that we've talked about. 
It comes from the parents having a relationship with Christ. It comes from a husband and wife submitting one to another and submitting to the Lord. Because you know what? God wants nothing more than our families to grow in a relationship with him and be in unity. I'll say that again. God wants nothing more for our families than to grow in a relationship with him and be in perfect unity. Look at verse 2. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Verse 4, Father, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction in the Lord. See, it's so hard. Sometimes the fear of failure is the hardest thing for parents. That paralyzing effect of like, oh my gosh, did I say the wrong thing? Did I make one wrong choice that's going to just shatter their trajectory or make them go off course? Did I do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? Should I have done this? The constant second guessing and the constant fear can paralyze us. But thank God, like it says in 1 Peter, love covers a multitude of sins. If you're trying, just keep trying. Amen? You see those families that are struggling? Encourage them. Just keep going. Keep trying. Love is going to cover a multitude of sins. Even if we make mistakes because we've all made mistakes, right? I've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes as parents. We've all made mistakes as family members, as friends, as employees, as employers. We've all made mistakes, but that love covers a multitude of sin. That breaking point. I loved quoting this verse to my father when I was a child. Because every time he made me do work, I would get angry. And I would think the verse applies to, to the situation, right? He made me do manual labor. Oh, my gosh, that was so terrible. It was the best thing he taught me as a child, right, besides loving God, right, to do work. So now I have a decent work ethic, right? I say, Dad, don't provoke your children to anger, right? (laughs) Bible says. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know the context of it, but I knew it was in there. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, right? We'd always quote it to him. He he wouldn't say anything to him. He would show the grace of God and just, okay, right? But we'd do the work, right? Well, at least I did. I was the working child. The other ones didn't really work much. But anyway, (laughs) Lord, forgive me. Okay, get back to the Bible. Okay, listen, we've all made mistakes, right? If you've never been frustrated with your children, you've obviously never taken them to, like, Disney World or on vacation or any place where you're like, Lord, just don't help me. Help me not to lose the child, right? Lord, help me to make sure I bring them back in one piece. We went to see uh, some kind of castle in the, in the summertime, and my prayer was, Lord, please don't let me lose him, and please don't let him fall off the cliff into the water, okay? You ever been there? Right? Lord, I don't want to lose him, okay, or lose it, and I lost it. I was hot. I was tired. I was cranky. wasn't a great day. I'm just like, Lord, I just don't want to, and, and of course, I got angry, and I, and I took it out on him, and I apologized, and I asked for forgiveness because that's something that we just have to do. But if you make mistakes, just keep going. How do you raise children up with discipline and instruction and do it tenderly with loving kindness? You can only do it by the grace of God. You can only do it by the grace of God. Because only God can forgive us when we've made mistakes. Only God can help us to do it better next time. Only God can help us change our thinking to do it more tenderly next time. Only God can help us change our tone and say something in a firm but loving way. Isn't that hard? to have firm compassion towards someone or something, it's so, so challenging. But God loves us so much that he wants us to be the best parents that we can be. He wants us to be the best husband and wife we can be. He wants us to be the best spiritual fathers and mothers that we can be. So how do we have a healthy union with our children? How do we have unity with our children? First, let the word of God be the absolute truth when it comes to raising them. Husband and wife have to be on the same page. Husband and wife with the children Fathers and mothers, you have to be on the same page. This has to be the absolute truth when raising them. 
Number two, don't make mistakes. Don't, make, don't be surprised, excuse me, when you make mistakes because we're going to make mistakes. Number three, ask forgiveness when we make mistakes. Like, ask your children for forgiveness, right? If you make a mistake, you own up to it. You say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. As hard as that is for a father and mother to do to a child, it is so necessary. Because the lesson you're teaching them is not that you were wrong. It's that we ask for forgiveness when we're wrong. Don't for- forgive daddy. I'm sorry. I-, I was mad at you. Do you forgive me? Yes. Because what's going to happen? When he makes a mistake, he'll ask for forgiveness. She'll ask for forgiveness. It's like parents that are constantly saying, say please and thank you, right? Did you say thank you? You know why they don't say thank you? Because the parents don't say thank you, right? Did you say thank you? Say thank you. Thank you. You don't say thank you, right? But the ones that are grateful, that have gratitude, it's because the parents live that, right? If we live forgiveness because we've been forgiven, the children will see that, amen? Four, trust God in the areas that were weak. And number five, don't give up. How do you have a healthy union with your children? The word of God's absolute truth. Don't be surprised when we make mistakes. Ask for forgiveness when we do. Trust God in the areas that were weak and don't give up. Now, in order to be a successful husband and wife, in order to be a successful father or mother, this all comes out of a relationship or a union with God the Father. Amen? You have to have that relationship with God. Otherwise, everything else is just going to be temporal. But when we have that eternal relationship, when we have unity with God, right, we can do, we can do what we're called to do. Unity with God. How do we have unity with our spouse? Stand on the word of God as absolute truth. Lift each other up. Remember the bride and the bridegroom. Remember Jesus and the church. Remember how him as the bridegroom, he gave his life for the church. And the church's response is they serve him. No inhibitions. Just, just, I'm going to serve you, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. That's what the bride does for the bridegroom. And if we have that mindset, we'll have unity with our spouse. Now, how do we have unity with God? Relationship through Jesus Christ. I'll say it again, relationship with Jesus Christ, amen? Because without the relationship with Jesus Christ, this is just like kind of like good, encouraging little nuggets of wisdom, but it's going to be nearly impossible to practically apply it without the Holy Spirit living inside of you. See, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, that whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. See, we are one with the Spirit of God. It's not like he's the third wheel in the relationship. You are one with the Spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you. The same miracle-working power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in every born-again believer. And when you actually believe that and see the promises in God's word, you're going to begin to operate in it. God does not want us just to be passive. He wants us to be active. How can we do the greater works that Jesus talks about? We have to be confident in his word. We have to be confident in who we are in his family to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to move. I'm going to lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. I'm going to pray for my coworkers when they say they've got a headache. I'm going to do whatever you need me to do, Lord. I'm going to do the greater works that you talked about us doing today. Because why? Whoever's united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. We have to remember, too, we're part of the family of God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that you and I are part of the family of God and that we are now united with the family of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.5, it says, you are children of light. Say, I'm a child of light. Because you are children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to darkness. No more do we belong to darkness. You belong to the light. You are part of the family of light. You are a child of light. You are a child of the Most High God. You are his beloved. He cares about you so deeply, so passionately, because you're his child. 
We're united with him and separated from everything else. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. How, what, uh, we're foreigners or exiles from what? From this culture. We're foreigners and exiles from this land. You are a citizen from heaven on loan to earth. We are just pilgrims passing through. We are foreigners. We do not belong here. So then where do we belong? We belong in the kingdom of God. You are a part of a new family. You have a new relationship because of what Christ did for us on the cross. You can walk in newness of life. You are a new creature. The old has passed away. Everything now is new. It's a game changer when you have that relationship with Jesus. Why is it important to look at unity in the body of Christ? Because like Jesus said, a house divided against itself will fall. It will fall. If we don't have unity, we have division. If we have division, it's going to fall. And that's not what God wants. Can you, can you turn to Colossians chapter 3? We're going to close here in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Listen, if you feel like this isn't for you, if you feel like this message wasn't specifically for you, it is. Think about it. If you can apply it, if you are a husband or a wife or a father or a mother, 100% is for you. If not, who are you a spiritual father or mother to? Who can you encourage? Who can you teach? Who can you love? Who can you show grace to? Who can you lift up and encourage when you see them struggling through the very things that we're talking about today? Who can you lift up? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in what? Perfect unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body, one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Of all these things, verse 14, of all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love will bind all of these things together in perfect unity. Love is what binds everything together. Please don't forget, don't ever forget that you are chosen, that you are dearly loved, that you are forgiven, and that you and I, we are bound and united by love. And it's only that kind of love that can truly bind us together. It can only buy, that kind of love can really bind our marriages, our families, our friendships, our relationship with the Father. Because I can't have that good relationship with God if I first don't understand the relationship that was been provided to me through Jesus. I can't. But once I get it, everything makes sense. In John 17, it's the prayer that Jesus prays as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is moments before he is arrested, he's put on trial, he's mocked, he's beaten, he's whipped. He's pierced with the crown of thorns. He's pierced his hands and feet before he gives his life on the cross. See, before all of that, which he knew, because he says, Father, not my will, but your will. If, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. What's he talking about? He knew what was coming. Jesus knew the painful sacrifice he was going to make for who? Listen to what it says in John 17. Verse 20 says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. 
Verse 21 says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you've given me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. The entire time Jesus is praying in the garden, in this passage, what's, he's, what's he praying for? He's praying for those that will believe and for those that will believe to be in what? To be in perfect unity. Do you know what Jesus was thinking about before going to the cross and giving his life? You and I. That was on his mind. That was on Jesus' mind. Before going to the cross, before experiencing the most painful death anyone has ever experienced in existence, he was thinking about you and I. And he was praying for you to be in perfect unity just as he was in unity with the Father. Because what? Because unity matters. Amen? Unity matters. Family values. Unity matters. Unity between husband and wife. Unity between the children and the parents. And unity between us and God matters. Because if I don't have that relationship with God, then none of this will really apply and really work. But because of that relationship, because Jesus is interceding for you in John 17. Go home and read John 17. And the powerful prayer, he prays for the disciples, that they always stay close to God. And then he prays for you and I, for those that will believe through them, through the disciples. He's thinking about us because why? He wants us to be in perfect unity. Oh, how good it is when brethren dwell together in perfect unity. Let's pray. Let's pray today. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, we pray, Lord, that we get a full concept and a full revelation of what that means to have perfect unity with you. Lord, if there's areas in our life where we need to readjust and realign our focus, Lord, we pray that you give us guidance and clarity to do just that, so that we can have that perfect unity that you want for us, so we can have that perfect unity that you expect in the relationship that you want to have with us, Lord. Father, if there's any of us that feel condemned or guilty, Lord, that was not the point of the message, but the point is to say, you know what? We can do it better next time, amen? Lord, we thank you that you can give us the strength and courage to do it better next time, Lord, to live and operate as a family in perfect unity. And we, we praise you for all this in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if, if you've never made that decision to follow Christ, this is, why, this is the reason why you came today. You're hearing this and you think, well, I don't have a family but I don't even have that unity with the Father yet. Well, that's, that's why you came. Because that is the most important thing that you need to experience is that unity with the Father, that relationship that Christ has provided through the cross. And it comes with an invitation and an acceptance. The invitation is, are you willing to say, yes, I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior? Because if that's the case, then we're going to say a prayer with you that just says, I know I need this. I need salvation, and only can be, be provided through Jesus. So if you're ready today to take that first step, maybe recommit your life. Maybe you don't even know if you did it right the first time. You, didn't really, you weren't serious about it. Then just do it today. Everyone say, Jesus. Say, be my Lord. Be my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive from the dead. Lord, live in me. Lord, work in me. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. 
If you'd like more information about the church or would like to support our ministry, head over to ChristianFaithCTR.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app.